I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, Finding Yourself in Life's Little Moments. Hi, dear listener. So it is a Saturday evening here in Sydney, Australia. A short distance from the ocean where I live. And we've had sun today, which has been lovely. But now it's raining. And we've been getting so much rain that there's been flooding. So after drought, after fires, There are now floods in various parts of the state. And one might say, really, that uh, this is biblical in nature, the extent of what we're seeing. So it's an interesting thing, you know, because there's a virus around sometimes are talking about and is happening and uh, it has manifested itself here in Australia as a run on toilet paper I'm not exactly sure why toilet paper but it's almost impossible to get the stuff at this point last night I think I must have timed it right because I went into the supermarket and there were about eight packages of it left so I took one and I actually was kind of amused to see people walking out of the supermarket holding packages of toilet paper yeah just so hard to get and they had a sort of interesting look expression There was a kind of sense of achievement, delight, and satisfaction, and relief, all combined. So anyway, that's part of what's happening here. So this morning, an email came through from a website that I subscribe to called Brain Pickings. And if you've never heard of it, I highly recommend it. The woman who has put this together, clearly with enormous amount of effort, love, and dedication, is named Maria Popova. She's a writer herself. And she's put together this inspirational website that draws from the very best in art and literature and poetry and video, music. It's a multimedia journey into the very best of what we humans have to offer. And so I find it an enormous relief and antidote and kind of 
oasis in the midst of everything else that is uh, going on. I highly recommend it. But this morning when her email came through, uh, it featured an audio of Walt Whitman, the renowned American poet, a man who lived from 1819 to 1892. He was born in outside of New York. And one of his most famous books is called Leaves of Grass. I was fascinated to, um, to listen to this video that was featured on this email that I received from Brain Pickings because it was a recording in audio format of Walt Whitman reading from one of his poems. And the recording probably took place in the late 1880s. So you can imagine, dear listener, that was the very, very beginning of the recording of sound. Photography preceded it by about 50 years. So, of course, in photography, that's a visual medium, a medium of visual art. And in the recorded sound, as this, as I'm doing right now, it's a medium of voice, of music, of audio medium, the transmission and the recording of sound. So when I got this email and it featured this recording of Walt Whitman reading from one of his poems, just 36 seconds on what was most probably a wax cylinder. I was fascinated for two reasons. One was to hear what a recording was like back then at the very beginning, the advent of the technology. And the second reason was to hear Walt Whitman's voice. To hear what a man sounded like in 1888, what he sounded like reading his own work, his own poetry, so I listened, and it was fascinating. It was scratchy like an old record, even scratchier. But I began to marvel at the fact that I could hear someone's voice who lived almost 150 years ago. And I started to imagine my mind went back, you see. Wouldn't it be fascinating to be able to hear the voice, the recorded voice of, say, Aristotle, of Jesus. Can you imagine, dear listener, hearing a recording of Jesus's voice, what that would be like. What would it be like to hear a recording of 
Michelangelo's voice, of Joan of Arc's voice? What would it be like to hear a recording of Shakespeare's voice reading his sonnets, reading his sonnets? What would that be like? How would our whole view of the world change, past and present? One has no idea, you see. It's our imagination, our inner, the inner workings of our thoughts and imaginings that in which we conjure the sense of what any of these individuals was like. But you know, dear listener, after listening to 36 seconds of Walt Whitman's voice, after listening to him read his poem, a few lines of his poem, perhaps it was because I had had just a little bit too much really dark chocolate this morning for breakfast that um, and by the way I combine that with organic fresh juiced celery juice and some other things so I say that to kind of illustrate how eclectic one's diet can be but the chocolate is very dark it's not very sugary and it's pretty potent and I'm very sensitive to caffeine. So after hearing Walt Whitman's voice, I suddenly had a little bit of a flash of interest and also panic. Because, you see, two and a half years ago, in preparation for moving from the United States to Australia, starting a whole new life really from scratch, The month before I left was a solid culling through of everything that I had in my possession. Some of it was in storage. Some of it was where I was living at that time. A solid month, I went through all of this stuff. 35 years plus of books and clothes, you name it, everything personal effects, as they say. And I, you know, separated out the things that I really knew were important and I had to keep. That was the totality of what I would ultimately bring to Australia. But then out of that, I had to separate what I could physically bring on the trip what I could fit into two suitcases and a total of about 100 pounds of luggage. And in that collection of things that was papers and poetry and writings and music in various formats, so that I would have a copy of what I had created myself over these last, as it would turn out, almost 50 years because among those items were writings from my early youth like five or six poetry from when I was a teen 
and so on. So after listening to Walt Whitman and having had too much 88% chocolate, I suddenly found myself panicking because I also had just sort of reorganized my whole sort of apartment. And I didn't know exactly where the poetry that I had brought with me, that I had written years ago when I was in my teens. I didn't know exactly where it was. And I'm usually used to being able to put my finger on things. It makes me feel a little bit more secure in what has been a somewhat insecure life of movement and change. So I was rummaging here and there, you know, and trying to find these things, and uh, and I found what I was looking for. But what was interesting was that it had been so many months since I had actually gone through the things that I brought with me that I had kind of forgotten exactly what I had brought. But I was really happy to have found a little literary magazine from high school, Dobbs Ferry High School, in the suburb of New York, Dobbs Ferry is north. And this little literary magazine is more like a kind of little pamphlet. It's sort of sweet. But in that little literary magazine that was produced by students back then, I found what I was looking for. Because it's in that magazine that a particular poem was printed. It's the copy of the poem that I've got, you know. I don't know that I've got it in a draft form or anything, but here it is in this little pamphlet. And I guess there were two reasons why I felt compelled to try and find this poem. One is because I feel at this juncture here, living by the sea on the outskirts of Sydney, Australia, that this poem, there's something that has kind of come full circle. And when I read it to you, I think you'll understand why. After 45 years of life, with its many turbulences and ups and downs, challenges and accomplishments, but many challenges, many challenges, much searching, much uncertainty. It's interesting, dear listener, how we can feel on the surface that we're fairly certain. There's a kind of surface level certainty to our lives. And yet there might be underlying that a sort of subconscious sense of something that's not really certain. And we keep going, you know, day to day, making our way, surviving. There certainly have been extraordinary uncertainties in my life. You know, in the past three years, four years since I uprooted myself 
from what I thought was a pretty stable situation, I ended up having to move 13 times until I finally ended up on these shores. So this poem was written when I was about 15, and it doesn't have a title. But at the end of this reading of it, I'll share with you the title that I now think, 45 years after writing it, it can have. And this is how the poem goes. This is it. I've gripped the shore so long, my dangling feet rising and falling in the tide, content to watch from afar the many currents dancing out at sea, coming in to playfully lap at my feet and tickle my toes. Seawater washes up with scalloped arms, reaching, reaching, and then disappearing into the sands. Bubbles laugh with the sunshine and catch my eye in a smiling glint. They leave me wondering and watching. I've slipped from the shore, am ready, thrust out to sea, I strain to wave to the dark caves and pines of the coast. The ebb and flow toss me in their grip. Still, I know not what I want. Still, I know not what I want. Tossed in my own tide of indecision, my thoughts and aspirations drift to the sandy bottom. They become entangled in the nets of seagrass and then, swept up with the undertow, are hurried away, suddenly abandoned and left to float softly down, down, down. I watch the many crystal bubbles glowing in the muted emerald sea light. The carbonations sweep round in pools, traveling as one. Only that I may temporarily live in the caressing whirlpool. My thoughts bounce among the playful bubbles. I wish to touch every one. Hold each illuminated globe. But still, I must seek finality in a single, special sphere. And with it, sanctuary from the surging, searching currents. Enclosing it, finding the warmth of its rainbow radiance, I add my glow to the illumination. Enclose it, I do. I enclose and become enclosed and with a tiny pocket of sea breeze rise steadily to the surface.
So that, dear listener, is a poem I wrote when I was 15. When I was already feeling the uncertainties, the vicissitudes, the strangenesses, the underlying anxieties, the longings, all these things were already alive in me. And I set out from there, from that time, searching without realizing it really consciously. But you know, art is an amazing thing, dear listener. I heard a poet once say that what was true in his life became conscious to him through his poetry. And that even before he knew what was happening, the poetry said it. And this poem, I think, said it. It was prescient. It was deeply true of who I was then and what would unfold over 45 years to now. What would unfold what would unfold that I would have no idea how could I ever have guessed that 45 years later I'd be here 11,000 miles from where I wrote that poem and yet feeling like there's no distance here by the sea by the swirling currents by the searching tides by everything that I described in that poem. Every minute of every hour. That's happening practically at my doorstep. A stone's throw there in the ocean nearby. So when I heard Walt Whitman this morning, read 36 seconds of his poetry. My mind flashed to this poem, and I knew that this was the moment to find it, to look, and I thanked goodness that I'd brought it with me. I thanked goodness I'd had the wherewithal really through all these years to have saved that little pamphlet, that little literary magazine, hardly a magazine, just a collection of poems of people who were that age with me in high school. I thanked goodness that I had the wherewithal to save it all these years because now what I wrote then has come to pass. And I call this poem now that had no title back then, I call it Homecoming. Because sometimes, dear listener, it can be a very long journey. And interestingly and paradoxically, it feels like the journey's just beginning. But something has come around, you know, it's come around. And I've come up 
with that bubble into the air, the beginnings of the air, the beginnings of breath, the beginnings of life, freedom, discovery, creation, joy, abandon, purpose, all these things. I sensed when I wrote that poem that something would buoy me. And I think I had intimations of what that might be. I can remember the moments when I wrote that poem 45 years ago. Time is a strange thing. It can collapse the past into the present, the present into the future. Now as I read this to you, you see, 45 years later, I feel a sense of imminence and of becoming and of discovery of the unknown. <laughs> so in a way, I guess there's a sense of a new bubble forming somewhere that I imagine will be into this next chapter of life this next grand chapter of life. So with that, my dear listener, I'll sign off. I thank you, as always, for listening. Your presence there completes the circle, and for that, I'm deeply grateful. It's part of what allows homecoming to happen. Our presence in each other's lives allows homecoming to happen. So take good care, okay? <laughs> All best wishes. Bye for now. <laughs>